the only barrier for me learning or expanding my knowledge or my mind or any of those things was me. There was no further barrier in that. And then my willingness to go self-educate, to read, to study online, it opened up a whole new world for me. There are over 4,000 recognized religions in the world. Which one are you leaving? Why are you deconverting? Welcome to the Deconversion Podcast, where we explore the experiences and challenges of deconverting from religious faith. We are here to discuss and explore this topic and help you on your journey to living an authentic life. Three, two, one. What's up, Tim? How's it going, man? Back man, again. Morgan's podcast. Yeah. On fire. Yeah, it's one of our biggest ones yet. Yeah. It's fun. And apparently one of the only ones that you've actually committed and listened to. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is the only podcast I've Francie listened to. Francie and I are listening to all of them and you're like, yeah, oh, I got to get on. I've got our projects. Tell you what, I learned how to edit them. I mm-hmm. streamlined that process, got the systems down, and then I just handed it over to Francie. And so, yeah. So yeah, but it it's nice. Francie saves the listener from a lot of a tangents. lot of extra stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so but, it's pretty awesome. It, no, it was. It, it's exciting. I really hope everyone out there is enjoying that one, and it's one of the most popular up to this point. And I just re-listened to it the other day before it came out. And whenever I listen to our finished podcast or I'm going through them, I always think of them from like where I was years ago when I first came out and is this something I would have wanted to listen to? Is it giving me the kind of information that I was looking for back in the day? And uh, that one was just particularly powerful because you're hearing someone else's story. And sometimes that's really a good place to reflect from because you may have correlations, you may not, but it also puts things into perspective for what you're dealing with, because at least my listening of it, what she went through is very different from what I went through and in some ways more trauma than what I went through. And being able to put those things in perspective for yourself as a non-believer is it's good. It gives you a clearer picture of where you came from and where you're going. So the thing I find fascinating was how her story and her situation It's just a few degrees off of Mm -hmm. what a lot of people deal with. I think that's the thing. Every person we interview, sometimes it it just gives me that chilling feeling that, man, this isn't that far off. This is take what I was doing when I was in church and shift it 1.5 degrees and here we are. Yep. And so it really brings to light how easy and dangerous religion can be. Yeah. And this kind of sparked our conversation for our topic for today, which is what are the positive things on the other side of deconversion? And so we came up with the top five reasons to deconvert. To deconvert. For deconversion. For deconversion. We're not sure what exactly the title will be, but it'll be perfect. Yeah, man. Top five reasons. This was also inspired a little bit. Francie wanted us to talk about this. She's. I'm excited for her to do a podcast because as she's editing not only the podcast, but the videos for the deconversion guide, she's asking a lot of questions and she has a lot of thoughts Mm -hmm. and observations and some of her own opinions. So it'll be fun when she does a podcast. She and I have had some really good conversations and I've gotten some great feedback from her on that project because I'm like, wow, I didn't think about that. Maybe I should bring that up and talk about it. It's changed my writing style for some of it. Yeah, it's awesome. It's good. Let's jump into it then. 
Okay. Let's talk about. Thought, I, oh. I'm sorry. I have to interject about yeah. how we sat and we brainstormed this. And then we called Doug, who was on our Leaving the Mormon Church podcast uh, way back, one of our first ones. And we wanted to ask what his opinion was on these. And we had already written some down. And he literally, like, check mark right from the top down with us yeah, <laughs> as soon awesome. as we started. It was He's so like, fun. This is the first thing I think of. We're like, yeah, that's number one. What's another thing? This thing is yeah. yeah, that's our number two. What about number three? And we wrote down humor, but he said something funny. Uh-huh. So it's like, yeah, basically the same thing. What about number four? Yep, that's a Yeah, so, that's fun. Yeah, so that was good. At least it means we're on the right track. Absolutely. And then you guys talked about a topic that I was disconnected from, but is very prevalent to oh, the viewers. Yeah. So. Let's start with the number one reason to deconvert yes. or for deconversion. That's just a positive thing for your life. All right. You ready? Ready. Number one, you don't have to go to church on Sunday. <laughs> Okay, sleep. so sleep in. And this is funny. I know we're, we're just in a little bit, but let's elaborate a little bit. What we took was, which was so funny when we just talked to Doug, because he was like, oh, you get your day back. Yeah, he said Sunday. And so there's a little bit more to it than just a juvenile, I want to sleep in on Sunday. But what we discussed is that the sheer amount of time you get back for yourself I talk a lot about how I feel like church wasted my time. Now, we all waste time, okay? I play video games. We all do things. I would like to think that things that we use for leisure or for recreation are things that lend a positive thing to your life. And I know some people feel that way about church, but church definitely falls into that category of leisure time. And it's such a waste. Yeah, It's a waste. How much time, and I know you did some research on this, do you sit in church listening to someone tell you things that you have already heard a thousand times over before. Yeah. It was just real quick math. It was, there's 52 weeks in a year. That means that there's 52 Sundays in a year. And let's just say 80 years of life, maybe you're 96, you know, or whenever you go to church, but just 80 for funsies came out to 11 years of your life. Sitting in a pew. 11 years of your life at church. And that's if you go one day a week. Mm-hmm. Church for a lot of people is, it's it's small group on Monday. It's Wednesday night service while the kids go to youth group on Wednesday. It's Sunday morning and then it's Sunday night. And then it's, and, it, and then twice a month is the church picnic at the park. Yep. So when you add it up and look at over the course of your life, there are people who are going to be on their deathbeds at the age of 75, 80 years old, and they would have had spent more than 20 years of their life well, yeah. and at y- church. You and I are both business professionals, and we are very thoughtful in how we use our time. And everybody deserves some recreation in this kind of thing. But so many people that participate in church, even devout believers, can have the groan of it's time to go to church on Sunday Mm -hmm. because they would rather be spending their time on something else. And that mainly, to me, at least in my youth, came from the redundancy of it was just going through the motions. And religion has a big thing with that because – They don't get you by convincing ideas. They get you through repetitiveness. If you do it over and over and it's just a social norm, that's how they get you. It's just the commonality of it. Right. And so you break that up and you give that time back to yourself. Man, 
that is such a reward. And I'm so glad that Doug felt the same way. It's like, I got time back for myself. I remember before I even deconverted, I just said, I don't want to go to church anymore. That was a start because I was like, I was working hard, full-time job, going to college online. And then my one day off during the week was Sunday. If anything, forget relaxation and playing video games or doing my recreational stuff. I want rest. I was tired. Yeah. I don't want to go socialize. I don't want to go get preached to. I just want to sleep and recover my energy so I can keep going after my goals during the week. And feeling like that got lifted and I was like, that time's back. And for some people, it might be one day. For other people, it might be multiple days. And then I think about this on the flip side of the coin. What about productivity or chasing a passion? Yeah. What if you just love playing the piano? But you just can't seem to find the time to do it. Or you love writing and you just, you really want to finish that book, but you can't squeeze in the time. It's just having that extra time, having that extra day, being able to not have that distraction. It could really enrich people's lives. And I know that there are probably some people out there who are like, I get that from church. Listen up. For however many of you out there that are like, I get that from church. Church is my passion. I play piano at church. For however many of you out there that really find that rewarding, there is that times 10 of people that are just sitting in those pews irritated that they're burning their one day off to to be up here and do this. I had to get up early on my one day I could sleep in. Trust me, I think I'm speaking to the majority here who feel that way. Because listen, I grew up with devout parents, and I know that they had that feeling some Sundays. My dad busted his ass. I remember saying, oh, we can't. They would pull their kids out of school on Friday so that they could take a weekend trip on Friday, Saturday, so that they could be back for church on Sunday. Oh. And it's just – so that's another thing. How many missed a weekend trips? And we're talking we're talking to the general masses of Americans who work Monday through Friday. There's obviously hundreds of different scenarios, but just generally speaking. I relish thinking back to the early days of my deconversion when I had just openly been like, no, I'm done. I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. And I can tell you right now that I, on multiple occasions, and even still to this day, will have Sunday mornings where I wake up and I remember the routine and I remember all that stuff. And I'll sit down and snuggle up to a book that I'm excited to read that's on a subject that I'm interested in and be thankful that I don't have to compete or play in that wheelhouse anymore. Mm -hmm. And I remember really loving it the moment I realized I could just let it go. Because even when I didn't attend church and I was still a Christian, I would have that guilt like I was supposed to be at church that morning. And that's what I ought to be doing, but instead I'm being selfish and doing my own thing. To have that gone and sit there and commit that time to whatever I would need it to be, nothing like it. It's extremely rewarding. That's why it's number one. Nice. Something fun. Yes. If you're listening to this podcast and if you feel compelled to, we would love for you to share in the group. What is something that you picked up or you started doing? Something that that you love that you found more time for since you've left church? I'd love to hear it. Yeah, we would love to hear your answers. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. That one's pretty pretty straightforward. Let's move on to number two. Number two. I wrote down basically designing your life or life design. Okay. You know, yeah. structuring your value systems and your morals. It leaving church or deconverting gives you an opportunity to really take some time for some reflection and really figure out what 
is important to you. Yeah. So do you want to elaborate? on Yeah. That idea? Let's chat about that for a minute. Now, this one's a little bit harder. First one's, that's just like a, a rewarding thing. Yeah. Okay. This one takes a little bit more work. And then, but as with most things that you put work and effort into can be very rewarding. Okay. Now, there is a realm of argument. I'm going to put this out there for our audience that says that, and not completely unfounded on this. I like, I put this out there as something to marinate and go through people's brains so that you can think about this is that religion provides a framework for people to live their lives. And that's not all bad. That is not all bad. And one very serious question that gets posed when it comes to the concept of non-belief and the expansion of non-belief as it grows is what are you replacing that with? And then some of the arguments go, you're not replacing it with anything. There's this and that. Yes and no. I don't think that's completely fair. There's arguments to be made for people that are still inside religion. They do this anyway. Everyone has a like a slightly separate framework. Look at all the different denominations and stuff. But when you leave religion, you may be left with questions. We did our last podcast talk about evolution and the deficiencies people have understanding those arguments or the concepts. You may have huge realms that you want to expand your knowledge in. But when it comes to your lifestyle, what matters to you, your goals in life, what you feel like matters, who you want to be, you get to build that framework for yourself. And it takes time and effort, but it is extremely rewarding because all of a sudden you're not answering to something else. You are building this structure and framework through hard work and then it's yours. Mine revolves around, I talked about the golden rule, treat other people the way that you want to be treated. And that's a very small part of my overall structure and view of the world and how my ethics work. Because I have this real interesting combination of my ethics. Like I, I choose to treat everyone with courtesy, even if they've not, even if people I don't know haven't earned it. You know what I mean? Right. I always try and treat people with courtesy. But guess what? The moment I get information enough to realize that's not there, man, I won't hang around you. I'm not going to pay you lip service. And I may not even be nice to you. The whole, I've talked with Drew about this a lot. The whole concept of turn the other cheek, love those who despitefully use you, which is all Christian terminology and stuff. Yeah, I don't buy into that anymore. My enemies, I don't turn my cheek to them. I fight against them. Or I want avoid to un- them. Or I avoid them. I want to undermine their goals because I think what they're doing is bad. And you build a framework to be proud of and, and fight for what you believe in. And we're hearing that a lot in modern society. A lot of people talk about boundaries and how setting boundaries is healthy and different movements, even within the religious community. Brene Brown, who I think is absolutely fantastic, is a Christian. And she talks on the – she's a subject matter expert. But mm-hmm. we're definitely seeing the healthy effects of things of that nature. Yeah. It's, which is really fascinating. I always thought, too, when I was – going to church for my little brief time, that a lot of people made decisions on how they raised their kids and how they navigated their relationship and their marriages via the one pastor and his say about things. And I just, I could not imagine having a family and letting someone else dictate how I was going to raise my kids. And so I think it's really nice that you leave religion and it gives you an opportunity to think about those things. Yeah. I always like to emphasize that I feel like within 
belief systems and structures, I'm thinking of more formal religion and participation in church rather than the kind of trendy hippie home groups of Christians that are all prolific right now that tend to do a similar version of what we're talking about here. We omit the religion, but they're doing the same thing because they don't like the structure that religion provided. So they build a new one. We're doing it. We're just exercising the religion from it. But I feel like within the structure of religion, it's a lazy thing to do because you don't have to go do any hard research for yourself. And I think we've harped on that before is that this is not something you do overnight. It takes time. I'm still doing it. There are still structures I'm working on and trying to understand and do it. But it's my Lego set, assholes. (laughs) It's my Legos. And when they're your Legos and you've worked hard for them, you care about them more. Yeah, true. So we jumped into, let's jump into number three. Okay. And we may cut this out depending on Doug's response, but (laughs) (laughs) all right. I'm going to, here was Doug said this. He said, alcohol is fun. And I have a fun story. So Doug is not much of a drinker. He gets a little tipsy with one, one beer. We'll be throwing darts or shooting pool or be hanging out. He hits me that way. Oh yeah. He has that one beer. It's a lot of fun, but we were in Bonaire. And I was getting him drinks, but I was having the bartender pour a lot of booze in those drinks. And that man got silly. He got really silly. And he is just determined that's Mars. And we were talking about this app on the phone and where's Mars and his son, Sam. That's not Mars, dad. That's not Mars. No, it's Mars. It's Mars. Well, anyways, it ended up being like a street post light. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, but no, it was just fun. It was a good time as a very healthy and good son-in-law does. If I get an opportunity to sneak booze into his drinks, (laughs) I definitely prepare yourself, Doug. This is what you're signing up for. I definitely do that. But we say all of that because our number three is humor. Humor. Yeah. So you talked about humor. So God, this is great. Now for me. I came out of the womb funny. So the thing is. (laughs) I'll say. My name's Isaac. For the religious people out there, Isaac means laughter. So I personally have always been one to to understand humor. But what did you mean by it? Why is humor your number three? For one, I like being funny where I can. And I, my funny is like yours. It comes out of wit and being thoughtful and quick responses and stuff. But. I, we reference humor and we put it on here because the difference between my humor prior to deconversion versus post-deconversion, very different things that developed. We all naturally develop a sense of humor, but inside of religion, at least the way that I was raised, humor gets curbed. You can be funny, but you can't be too funny because then you're obnoxious. And well, that could happen. But within the church, you're not supposed to be funny at church. And there are certain things you're not supposed to be funny about. There's dirty jokes. There's sexual jokes. There's all kinds of stuff that's off limits or frowned upon. And when I left religion, I feel like my humor was restored to me in a pure form that it's supposed to be, which means nothing's off limits. Mm. With some courtesy in mind, you could still be an asshole. You could still be offensive. You could still be offensive, but I'm a little less worried about being offensive. And I just feel like my humor opened up. And I'll tell you, the moment you find your voice and realize I can make fun 
of this religious stuff because you and I talk about all times like some of this stuff is really silly. And the only way it's not silly is if you're just so submerged in it that you lack all objectivity. The moment you step out and you look back and you're like, so you're telling me that an all-powerful, all-loving God, the only way he could save mankind was that he would split himself into three parts and send a portion of himself down to earth so that he could sacrifice that part of himself to himself so that he could forgive everybody. That's pretty fucking funny, guys. That's you know pretty this, hilarious because you know that, that makes no sense. This reminds me of me trying to get out of trouble with my mom. No, it, here's what happened. So I was driving, but then this elk came out. But no, I didn't hit the elk. I hit a deer. Okay, listen. This elk was fighting this deer. And <laughs> yes, it's, it's level of- and so they went at it and I wanted to protect the baby raccoon that was in the road. So I swerved off and now I was in yeah. the ditch, but I would have called you, but I, and it, it, it's well, one of those things. The, uh, and I feel like there are two things where that when combined together are really dangerous for religion if they're not controlled. And that is humor and irony. Mm. Because if you focus irony and humor at religion – one serious religious people will not like it and they will not find it funny at all because you're desecrating their sacred holy shit that's above everything else and here's the thing it's really easy to do do you think that making fun of religion while you're in church or in a religion is so taboo and negative because it's in such a vulnerable position yeah That's right. It's fragile. And that's something I always bring up is that I would, and I've said before is if this is your belief, it should be able to stand up to some more scrutiny Hmm. and it doesn't stand up to this and it can't take a joke. If your religion can't take a joke, let me tell you something. There is a country on this planet called North Korea. And if you make a joke about the leader in North Korea openly in public where people can hear you, you're going to get a rap at your door and it's not okay. Right. Okay. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch for everybody to realize that's bad and that their leader over there is a tyrant and he deserves to be made fun of because he's fun. He's just funny to look at, but you can't make fun of him. If something is where it's getting placed in a spot where it's supposedly beyond humor or it's too sacred to stand up to humor or take a joke, something's wrong. Right. Something's wrong. And I view it as like a foundation for questioning authority. There's a good indicator. It's a great indicator. And when you deconvert, one, you can just take that back. And then you can nurture it and you can grow it. And And I think that's good for you. So that's a good segue into our next topic because we talked about humor and that it's somewhat dangerous to not be able to make fun of something. But we talked about vulnerability, being gullible, and mm-hmm. being able to process like critical thinking skills. Yeah. And so not being vulnerable, not being gullible, increasing those critical beliefs. And we've talked a lot about this in other podcasts, but let's just give some of the highlights of yeah. that. And again, in, in the spirit of what this one, this podcast is about, is we want this to be the these are the selling points. Okay. And a lot of them are fun. And laughable humor, you have to... That's right. These are the five positive reasons to deconvert. Exactly. So these are very... These should be attractive. 
and they are attractive and they're, they have a lot of nuance to them because we, we start with the first one, like enjoying getting your Sundays back, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. There's the getting your time back for you and you being able to, to dictate where you're wanting to expand and move yourself to without feeling the pressure of obligation from religion. So there's that. So this one is a little bit of a more serious one, but is definitely one of the best selling points for this is that your gullibility goes down and your critical thinking goes up if you nurture this. And what that does is it leaves you in a position where at least for my part, and this is not, again, I'm very cautious with blanket statements, but you get to a point where you're going to make better decisions for yourself. You're going to make healthier decisions for yourself. You're going to avoid pitfalls. You're going to be less gullible. And that pays for itself, guys. It's so huge. And I, I'll give you a great example of this. There was a girl who worked with me when I was at Office Max here in Kerrville. And this girl, nice, I'm not trying to put her down, but she was very religious. She got married, she left. And then we have been Facebook friends after left Office Max. And she got real involved with what by anyone who's on the outside would who has some deductive reasoning would be considered a Ponzi scheme, which is in the vein of like the nutrition supplements that they have people sell. But it this was wraps that girls like wrap these bands they wrap around their stomach to help them like suck it in and that it would reduce their belly fat and would shrink them and do all this stuff. And it's garbage. And it was like she sold so many and then she gets people underneath her that sells them and this and that. And this is just so it takes advantage of people is what it did. And I pointed out to her at one point over that, that this kind of resembles a Ponzi scheme. And maybe you should be a little cautious because not only does that hurt other people, but it could potentially hurt you at some point where you get taken advantage of on it. Yeah. And well, she unfriended me. Yeah. <laughs> so Well, and it's a multi-level marketing. Multi-level marketing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Ponzi schemes where you put money into something. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Rents. It's a multi-level. Yeah. But when you have stronger levels of critical thought, you learn to have less gut flinch reactions, you have more thoughtful reactions. You slow down. Don't have to have an answer that second. Absorb information. Think about it. Study it some more. Everything slows down a little bit for you when you understand how these principles work. And then you avoid this kind of stuff and you make better decisions. I always think about, I always think about this. I remember asking for advice at church. Life advice. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I take this job? Your basic things. Yeah. And the answer was most often you should pray about it. And when I think about that, maybe there's a level of meditating on something that can be healthy, maybe reflecting on it in a quiet space to, to realize what you really want. So those two could be positive things. But very rarely there was, let's look at the pros and cons. Yeah. How, what can this lead to? Have you done research in this area? Yeah. And that was, I remember that was really missing in the decision-making process for a lot of people that I went to church with. Again, 
not make it a blanket statement, but it, you do really see the strength. Yeah, and that goes to my laziness thing of too. Is, oh, wh- I'm feeling this. How do? How? What should I do? Oh, we should go pray about. It. That's an easy answer for that guy to throw out. Going, sitting down, thinking about it, hearing their full story, doing a pros and cons list, doing some critical thought or research. That's hard work, and it takes time. Mm. And it's very simple to be like, oh, I'll just pray for you, or you but should go pray. Critical thought and that process. It's like a muscle. The more you do it, yep. the stronger it becomes and the easier it becomes. And That's a great reason yeah. for deconverting. Absolutely. There's one other little nuance I would throw in there. That I, it, this is just something that I would like to throw in at this point. And maybe this little piece blends with our, our previous one about restructuring your life and doing this kind of stuff. There was something else I got back when I left, and it was this realization The only barrier for me learning or expanding my knowledge or my mind or any of those things was me. There was no further bearing that. And then my willingness to go self-educate, to read, to study online, it opened up a whole new world for me. Because I no longer, I could say this, I only speak for myself, is that I felt like I was in a little bit of a box where it's, oh, that's not my subject. I, That's beyond me. I wouldn't be able to get into that. And in some cases, I was told that. And on the other side of deconversion, I've got this desire to absorb information. But more importantly, I no longer have the fear of information. Oh, that's too much for me. I get anything with time and effort. I can figure it out. And man, that's empowering. That is very empowering. What's funny is, is as we're doing this podcast, I'm just thinking of a few things. So I just want to drop in two things that didn't it's, make our it, list. It's a podcast, it's a pod- Isaac. You can drop so, things in. It's all good. Mr. Notepads and iPads over yeah. there. It's crazy. So I don't know how we missed this when, in our brainstorming, but money. A lot oh. of people give a lot of money to the church. We're, we're, so we're you gonna, get your 10% back, people. Oh, yeah. We're doing subcategories now. Yeah, it's yeah, a big yeah. five. The top five turns into the top 10. Yeah, you, no. you, get, you get your money back. Yeah, it's a money pit. Oh, yeah. So you get that 10% back. So if you'd like to take half of that 5% and donate it to the... Di- <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Isaac. I'm just take kidding. that back for yourself and take yourself out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for some people, this isn't too much of a real powerful reason for me, but it is a very powerful reason for some people. Yeah. They get to watch Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) There's some people out there. Yeah. That's a real deal. R-rated movies. Oh, yeah. I have some family friends, and I remember my friend's grandmother was reading Harry Potter, but took a book cover off of a different book. To put it on oh the hair. God, that's so, that so her, sad. So that her husband wouldn't read it. Where did you read? War and Peace. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, old Harry's back on the table. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, moving on. Number five is going to be a long winded one. Yeah, it is. It can be. But we talked about purity culture sex life we were talking Mm -hmm. about being able to try to get away from that shame and the thing that you said that we're going to tie into this last one in translate in relation to this idea about purity culture and your sex life improving is you talked about guilt yeah and when we were brainstorming i said really guilt like guilt for what yeah you didn't recognize yeah and that's because i didn't grow up in the church And by the time I did get to church, I I was a little bit out of control, like I'm going to do what I want. 
And so I never, I experienced some guilt, but it was more of a interpersonal relationship with other people that I was going to church with. It wasn't the same type of guilt that you were talking about. Yeah. And then you gave me a really powerful example uh-huh. that was eye-opening. Yeah. That kind of all came in. But well, do you well, want to share that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this was really interesting because I said that and you literally had this puzzled look on your head. What is he talking about? And I'll, and so this is the illustration I gave to him. I said when – and this guy get pretty personal. So sure. prepare thyself at home. When I was like 13, 14 years old and I started figuring my body out and masturbation came up, I initially – was not like I was pretty innocent about it. I didn't realize anything was wrong. And so my parents find out about it. They sit me down and they read a Bible verse out of context. The story in the Bible they give, I don't remember the characters exactly, but it has something to do with two brothers. One of them is married and he can't get his wife pregnant. And so he petitions his brother to have sex with his wife so that they can have a child. But the brother's jerking it before he has sex with his brother's wife because he likes having sex with his brother's wife. Well, God strikes him dead. But that's not the context of the story that I'm told. All I get told is the part is that if God catches you spilling your seed on the ground, he doesn't like it. So we don't think you should do that. Probably nothing more harmful done to me by my parents than that statement, because what ensues is from 14 to about the age of I probably didn't get to where I didn't have this kind of stuff bothering me until I was about 17, 18 years old and probably not even a little bit further is that since I still did masturbate because you're not going to work that out of a kid. I wasn't just being some obedient kid. You're asking a child to go completely against the nature of their biology by doing that. Well, and not only that, I always throw in the argument of wet dreams. Yeah, yeah, know, that kind of stuff I'm... happens. Exactly. But I basically got in my head that if I did that kind of stuff, I was sinning and I wasn't good. And I was, so I thought I was going to hell because I masturbated. So it, I would have huge amounts of guilt when I would do it during the buildup and doing it, which happened a lot. I was a kid. I ain't gonna lie. And then it also culminated with me having nightmares where the rapture, the church we went to was very end times preachy. Oh, the trumpet's going to sound and God's going to summon his people back. And so I would have dreams where Jesus would show up and he was rapturing everybody and he was telling me I couldn't come because of me coming. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so... I would have, I laugh about it now. It was not funny to me at the time. Sure. It was scary. It was disturbing. I had anxiety around it. And so this brings us to the subject of guilt and shame. And our number five positive thing on the other side of deconversion is doing away with that. Right. Because you can't get that guilt and shame out of your nervous system the millisecond you're now married. It doesn't work that way. That's exactly right. And my know, wife and I talked about that extensively. Yeah. And so it's it really creates some barriers and some challenges when it comes to intimacy with your partner. And, and I would like to emphasize one thing about shame particularly. Shame is not an all bad thing. Sometimes you do stuff against your morality or against your – you have situations you encounter where you could have been better. You make mistakes. We're imperfect people. We do that all the time. And sometimes feeling a sense of shame over that kind of stuff is important. It's a correcting measure, okay? So that's not all bad. But the kind that religion imposes upon you in the name of what they project, and especially considering their hypocrisy, is it is an overcompensation, 
and it can cause some real bad problems. And when you get to the other side and you get out, I'd love to tell you this one disappears overnight. It does not. It takes years of thought and exercise to get away from it. And a lot of people experience this. Yes, very much. But man, when you can forgive yourself or I didn't make a mistake in the first place, the freedom you feel on the other side of that is worth the price of admission. Right. In fact, you could say it's saving the best for last on our list is that one. So one of the most positive reasons for deconversion is that the percentage of you having an orgasm goes up. That's exactly right. And who right. doesn't like a yes. good old-fashioned <laughs> orgasm, people? Yes. I mean, I think it's funny because thinking about my own personal sexuality and how I am as an adult and I'm married and how I live my life, when you look back at the church, they are absolutely obsessed with everything sexual. Mm-hmm. It is an unhealthy obsession, and it ruins people. So odd. Oh, yeah. And it's so odd. It's one of the most natural things that we experience in our life. And it's it, and I think one thing I deduce this to, and I'm going to – I hope my wife doesn't mind me spreading this a little bit. I'll be very careful. But as my wife and I were entering our first several years of marriage and we're growing in our sex life and that kind of stuff – she had a real hard time because of the culture she grew up in and purity culture and a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And that doesn't go away overnight when you sign the paperwork and you put a ring on your finger. It just doesn't go away. Not when it's been so reinforced over so many years. And we're going to do a whole podcast on that, everybody, right. that we're going to discuss that. And it's most appropriate to do it with girls because they have a whole – their experience is worse than ours. My wife and I would go through this and we were talking about one time and we had just had some frisky time and it was like, it's like, she said something to the tone of it being like, it's just so it's, I was like, it's animalistic. And she's like, yeah, it's animalistic. I was like, you know why? Because we're animals and this is like a primal part of where we come from. And it's a place where we let that out on each other. (laughs) Right. And, and I told her, I was like, I think that's the reason the church is obsessed with it, because it's a reminder of our animalistic side. They want to think we're God's chosen, holy, selective, special creatures on this planet, and nothing is bigger rebuttal to that than some humping in the bedroom, man. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> some rough sex in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the animal, animal kingdom. Yeah. Having Eminem, he's got a great song on that. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But uh, but we, I think that really blows their mind because that, and that's also why I think you find a lot of this. I, I again, not a blanket statement. Not everybody would be this way, but you can find some fucking awkward sexual relationships oh, inside religion. Sure. Holy shit. Because they don't want to admit that. It goes, oh, the only way you do it is to procreate and you only do it with the guy on top and the girl on the bottom and you do it to get done and that's it. And there shouldn't be doing more. Because if you let yourself do more than that and feel good and experiment, you're going to figure out, oh, hey, I'm just a big fucking monkey. Oh, yeah. Well, there's <laughs> the old school too, a couple generations back. It was sex only to have kids, yep. and then it was sex with pajamas on. And I love Lucy oh, yeah. separate beds. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just, I yeah. Don't know, yeah. Kind of... And there's that just that hard revelation that <laughs> you, you you realize would... you're a chromosome off from throwing shit at the wall. Oh yeah, exactly. 
Well, you know, in this this episode, we wanted it to be positive, so it's a little more lighthearted. But I remember one time getting a lecture. I was getting a good religious lecture, and it was I was an adult. I I loved church for a while, and uh, I remember someone saying, "You were created in His image." And I was like, if I was created in his image, God is one horny mofo. Because <laughs> the thing is. It's so I, true. Really? Uh, this is what he came up with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's because, man, I'm telling you right now. and But it does, it really does bring up a great point. Because once you get into psychology and you start learning about sex and, you, and sex in our society, that suppression caught, you know, Oh, causes yeah, a lot yeah. of issues down the road. My my uncle, who lives up here in Austin, and I'm hoping to get him down on the podcast. He listened to a few already, and he was like, oh, I loved it. It was good. He had some very interesting thoughts that we're going to save for his podcast. But he originally worked as a probation officer for years up in, in Austin. And I've had some very fascinating conversations with him because he worked in the sexual offense part of it. And he dealt with a lot of sexual deviancy and all this different stuff. And he has broad opinions on this stuff, which I'd hope to have on the podcast at some point. But one thing that he and I like agreed upon and we talked about is that if you want to create a recipe for sexual deviancy, and I'm talking about bad stuff that hurts other people, hurts the individual, right. not people can do a lot of weird kinky stuff. And as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, who cares? That was my uncle's philosophy. Right. But when you come to sexual deviancy and stuff that becomes dangerous, he goes, it can almost always loop back around to some form of sexual repression. Right. And the church is guilty as sin for that. Right. Of sexual repression. Homosexuality is bad. Blanket statement. Right. Freaking, it's just ridiculous. And the and that suppression is really sad because healthy, consensual well-communicated sex can be very beautiful, a, yeah. a, an amazing part of the human experience. Yeah. Religion kind of robs us of the opportunity to learn how to navigate those waters in a healthy way. Yeah, in a realistic way, too. Yeah. You brought up homosexuality. Yeah. Imagine that. You want, a good, you want a good reason for deconverting? What if you've grown up in the church and you're a man or a woman and you have passionate feelings for the opposite sex and you've been taught that's wrong your Man, whole life and having that shame and just just wishing mm -hmm. you know that how, how about that for a selling point go oh, love yeah. who you want to love not only that i know i i've talked to a handful of people who uh are homosexual and they're like i would ask god over and over again what's wrong with me why am i broken why did you make me this way mm -hmm. you know and that's that's got to be a trip. That's got to be hard. Yeah, love who you want. Yeah. That's a good reason for yeah. deconverting, for sure. Yeah. I would say come to the dark side. We have cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. It's so ironic to me that this side gets – I I've talked a lot about the stereotyping of if you call yourself an atheist or a non-believer and where the – categories that the religious adherents are quick to throw you into. We always <laughs> saw something that was really dark the other day after Roe v. Wade and it was on a atheist site and they said something that was like, Oh, we're all happy about it. There's more babies for us to eat. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, Oh my God, that is so hilarious. <laughs> See sense of humor. Yeah. But there are all these horrible stereotypes about this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, 
and you and it's it gets referred to as the dark side or you're corrupted. We talked with Drew about how there was a member of my family that just sincerely felt like he had led me astray, and now I'm not going to heaven, and I'm a part of the enemy's camp. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is that from my personal morality view and where I'm sitting right now, while not perfect, there's so much nobility on this other side. Oh, sure. There's honesty and pureness of heart and self-criticism and sincerity. And I look back at where I came from and I feel like I'm looking at the Death Star and Darth Vader and all this other stuff. I'm like, whoo. I tell you what, Doug did mention that too when we were on the phone. And Ryan really talked about this quite oh, a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not being so judgmental yes. to other people and not putting them in a box and judging them. Yeah. And I mentioned that about Drew and how our relationship had developed is that there are people I know for a fact further back in my life that are people that I could have very well potentially had a close friend, a girlfriend, any number of things. And I didn't foster or pursue those relationships because I didn't think those were the right people to hang around with, which is a form of being judgmental. Mm -hmm. And we talked about in the guide that judgment is like one of those things that is a very negative aspect of religion. But you lose – if I'm not telling people to lose their caution or their common sense or their – I told somebody the other day, I was like, I'll treat you just like everybody else with courtesy and a slight mild hesitation (laughs) because that's just how my personality works. And – so it's not we're not talking about blindly trusting people, but we're talking about not limiting your friends groups because people either agree or disagree with you. Or making a snap judgment. Yeah. Oh, that person's doing this. They must be terrible. Yeah. Look, he smoked and drank at that party, which means I'm not going to go out with him. Right. Or look at her. She's smoking cigarettes. Ah, oh, that's not the kind of girl I want to yeah. be with. Smoking's kind of gross. I know she slept S- with her last boyfriend. Smoking, smoking's, smoking's valid. Maybe drink. <laughs> But, but so, yeah, you lose that. And then to this day, my friend group is still, I have lots of acquaintances, but I, my core friend group is quite small. And it's because I've really tried to foster really strong relationships inside of those. But it's very diverse. It's a big group. And I'm never turned off to like getting to know and meeting new people. And a lot of those little ticks that would just move the dial in the wrong direction are not there anymore. I'm way more open. And that's such a benefit because you may meet and foster and enjoy friendships and relationships that you would have never known about, right. never even known about, not even thought about it. That's true. And it definitely makes you more of an open person. Yeah. I've, I would feel bad if I didn't mention this. I've experienced something since we've started the deconversion podcast and the guide in this project. And here's kind of what changed for me is, as I've said before, I've, I was laissez-faire about it. I didn't think about it. It was just kind of the back of my mind. And I kind of always had this default assumption, I'm going to go to heaven, right? Or something is going to be better on the other side. And just, it's just there. It's going to happen kind of thing. And it's not that this process has made me question my beliefs, but it's made me think about it. Yeah. And in that reflection of thinking about what does happen when we die, getting into more of the details and the science of it and trying to process that, it's made me much more thankful and appreciative of life and my life. And it's made me 
really take a moment to appreciate and really soak in the moment and enjoy my life as much as I can. It's made me be even more serious about my health mm-hmm. and living as long as I can. And it's just really brought yeah. that picture to light. And I thought that it would be negative, but it's actually extremely positive. Yeah. On that note, we've t- discussed a common struggle for people who come out of religion and end up in this position that struggle I've had is with nihilism or feeling like nothing matters anymore because, and I view that as being a kind of a byproduct of being promised so much within religion. You're important. You're the center of the universe. You're on the side of good. And then when you die, you get this huge reward. If you consider that a reward and then you come to the other side and you're like, wow, well now I just don't have an answer. And so a lot of people can run to that darker kind of area. And one, it makes you appreciate what you have right now. You're not waiting in anticipation of what comes next. You need to enjoy and work hard at what you've got right now because it may be it. But I saw this one thing. I was listening to a guy talk about searching for meaning when he was in his like mid-20s. And he was talking about, I was really struggling with this, what is the meaning of life question? And if we go to the core root, it's like the big questions are these. Where do we come from? Correct. Why are we here? What happens when we die? Correct. What's the meaning of my life? And those are the questions that this guy was struggling with. And he goes, so I study religion. And obviously, he's a little bit more of our disposition. So he's, ah, I didn't find much there. And then I started reading Greek philosophy. And I had a stint going through German philosophy. Everyone needs to be careful with that. Be careful with your Friedrich Nietzsche. It's a little, it's a little hefty. It won't make you happy. And then he read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I love that movie, and I'm not very well-versed on the book. I probably I want to read it now after he said this, but apparently there's a part in this book where the characters get conflicted with this exact idea of those questions I just read. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? And the book's philosophical implications about those is that the universe is so big and so broad and so varied, those could be the wrong questions. Those questions don't even matter. Mm. And I found, and that for this person who was talking about was like, that's when I quit worrying about it. And I needed to get on and, and enjoy what's here and doing this because it is literally that level of, it is so wild and expansive. And you do a stu- I highly recommend studying astronomy and the, your own biology is a good place to go to. We talked about evolution and those things, but there's something about getting to a point where the questions that you've been taught are super important that you're supposed to have an answer for and religion will provide you for those questions may not even be relevant. They may not be that important and they could be the wrong question. I was listening to a podcast, Smartless, has Jason Bateman in it and it has, I'm drawing a blank, three funny guys. The guy from Will and Grace, the gay guy from Will and Grace. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Sean something. Anyways, it doesn't matter. They were interviewing one of the female astronauts that was up on the International Space Station and she was up there during COVID. And she's awesome. She was really a cool person. We'll put a link below because I don't remember her name. But she said that something that she went through and a lot of the astronauts go through, and there's actually a specific term for it, but is when they're looking at the Earth from 
space Mm -hmm. and they're circling around the earth 45 times because of their orbit. She says it does something to you psychologically, especially when you see the vastness of space where things don't matter as much in regards to how small they are. She's like, when I got back to earth, if, if someone left the silverware out, it doesn't matter anymore. And she said that some really trivial type things just it something happens in your brain yeah where it just you realize how small you are and then she also said that from up there you can really see the vulnerability of, of our environment and why it's so important but i thought mm-hmm. that was just a really fast no i love that because it's this that that is such an important part of growth to me as an adult is being reflective about those kinds of things because it puts life in purpose and we're currently living in a society where we're living in the era of social media and 24 seven news. And if something happens, you're immediately notified about it. You have to know what you're going to think about it, what you're going to say about it to people and all this other stuff. And it's so important to slow down and put your life into perspective, or you start thinking your problems are just the biggest, they're unattainable. And yeah, your problems are always going to seem the biggest to you because they affect you. And that doesn't mean that they lack validity or anything. You still have to navigate those things. But there is something about those moments where you step back from those. I've always liked, I like Mr. Rogers. When I was a kid, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. And as an adult doing some research on the guy, while I don't agree with his religious beliefs, I loved a lot of his approach and how he dealt with child psychology. Was that he said, if you're how, if something crazy is going on, look for the helpers, look for the people who are helping people and you'll find, and you'll feel better and make sure you're one of those people is like mm. one of the things that I always think about. But I've also think about that in the context of, as I navigate problems in my life, if I'm ever getting to the point where all my stuff is just all encompassing and I'm feeling depressed, it's time to get your mind off yourself and go focus on something else. Go help somebody, go help them build a porch. Go help them with yard work. Go talk with them about what they're struggling with. Get your freaking mind off of yourself and over where you feel like you can contribute and help someone else, and you will immediately feel better. Right. What's so terrible right now is we end up in these isolation chambers with ourselves, our phones, and our computers, and our jobs, and we get isolated, and that's not how we're meant to be. Right. And so when you deconvert, these things become very apparent to you, or at least they did to me. And you have all of the freedom in the world now to go out and play the game. Yep. Speaking of playing the game, Mm -hmm. here's what I have to say to end this podcast. And it is this, Tim, I'm glad that you and I are free on Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) No So that we have more time. To make podcasts like these. Yeah, except it's not Sunday. I know, but you'd be working on Sunday or you would have to go to church on Sunday, which means that you'd have to work more on a day. Like it just gives you more time. (laughs) It gives you more time. See, this is the other benefit of deconverting. You can be hyper analytical and put people into uncomfortable positions. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) No. Do you have more time? Yes or no? I do have more time. And are you spending that excess time podcasting with me? No, I play Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> <laughs> or I fly my airplanes. I'm just kidding. No, of course. All right. Everyone, until next time, be well, be happy. Remember, there's a lot of positive reasons for deconversion, and we believe in you. Keep your sense of humor. All right.
Bye, Have a good one. That was fun. That was a really fun one. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Deconversion Podcast. We're so happy you joined us. Please like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode.